Nice to have you with us here on another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. It's me, Chris Sork, alongside Dilu. And uh, folks, we're doing something a little... This is a, uh, a new endeavor, a new voyage we are going on here as the Short Side Option Podcast. This is the first episode of the Short Side Option that is being recorded via Zoom. Dell and I usually huddled around the microphone. Not, not the forecast for today. We're... We're, we're a ways away from each other. Uh, isn't that right, Mr. Dell? That's absolutely right, uh, Icon. Uh, although, I will say, in this format, it's it's interesting, actually. I get to see your face more. Usually, we're sitting side by side. Yeah, yeah we're, look, we're looking at the screen. Yeah, we're looking right across from each other. It's, it's kind of a par- paradoxical, isn't it? That we're a lot farther away from each other right now, but somehow we're closer together. It's almost like we've never been this close before. Yeah. This is really something. Kinda. So, well, Dell. But hey, know, man, it's, it's game week. It is, man. I was just going to say, this is, feels a whole lot different than last year when we were, uh, when we were breaking it down, uh, getting everyone uh, fired up and prepared for that Arkansas State game, doesn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, this, this one uh, – we're certainly looking at it like uh, it's an it's an important game. I, I think last year we kind of wrote off the uh, Red Wolves and uh, thought that they weren't going to pose much of a challenge, but um, but no, this this week is is something different. Yeah, well, I remember kind of thinking back to that game and that because I know that uh, Arkansas State had played the week before in a Week Zero game. And they were just getting gashed by Memphis on the ground. And we all thought that, well, this isn't going to be too much to worry about. And, of course, Arkansas State pulled the upset there on on the Cats. But, you know, we look at Stanford. Of course, it brings a little bit more cachet, so to speak, with the name. Uh, Of course, you know, it's a team that K-State fans are are probably somewhat vaguely familiar with. I mean, K-State just played them five years ago out in Palo Alto. So there's maybe some passing familiarity, at least with with the fans in in that perspective. But two kind of similar two kind of similar institutions too, just kind of schools. But yeah, both academic elites, Um, you know, it's it's really nice. You know, I honestly think that there could be uh, some potential for an annual series with Stanford. Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, we've, we've got kind of a budding rivalry already. Um, now, they their football program has been a little bit of rush shit over the last few years, so we'll have to monitor that. But, uh, no, it's uh, you're right. It's a name that carries a little more cachet than Arkansas State. Well, you know, let's go ahead and get started. You know, we, we talk a little bit about how K-State is in a – a place where they really need to kind of get off to a good start to begin this season. And K-State enters this game on a five-game losing streak. And with with Stanford, on the other hand, you've got a team that has won uh, four straight games. They closed out last year winning four straight against California, Washington, uh, Oregon State, and UCLA. Uh, the game against Oregon State – or against UCLA, rather – uh, was a, a nail-biter double overtime uh, win against the Bruins. Uh, Stanford stopped UCLA. Uh, 
at the goal line as they were going in to, to try to win the game there with a two-point conversion in overtime. But in those final four games that, um, that Stanford won, one-point win against California, five-point win against Washington, three-point win against Oregon State, and then, of course, the one-point win against UCLA. So uh, really, when you look at this schedule and, and the four-game win streak that, you, or that uh, Stanford finds themselves on, yeah, I mean, they could have easily have lost – each and every one of those games would be coming in here. zero and six. So uh, probably someplace maybe in the middle, you know, in terms of maybe, you know, if you flip a coin enough times, it, it came up heads uh, for the, uh, for the Cardinals last year or for the Cardinal last year, rather in terms of the last four games, but uh, for K state kind of the opposite uh, coming in here, losing five straight after getting off to a great start. So two teams, I wouldn't say necessarily going in different directions because I think you can always take last year's results with a bit of a grain of salt. Uh, But a game that both teams, you know, if they have high expectations for themselves this year, and I'm sure they do, it it probably begins with getting off on a, on a great start uh, and uh, getting, getting the first one of the season going one and oh. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think K-State fans have had this one circled uh, really the entire off season, just because, you know, it's a neutral site game, but also because it's going to be a really nice little uh, barometer of of where K-State fans expectations should be this season. And maybe that's a little unfair because the first game is notoriously a little unreliable for predicting how good the team is going to do the rest of the year. I mean, look at last year, K-State goes out and loses to Arkansas State. And then looks like a completely different team against Oklahoma, um, where we just look like total world beaters. But but your point's well taken that uh, that in terms of the actual final record, if K State wants to be around that eight and four, nine and three, ten and two mark, hey, that, there we go. That some fans are hoping for uh, Stanford's going to be one that uh, y- you don't want to let get away. Well, I think that there's a lot of truth to that. And I think for K-State fans, I mean, like you said, there, there's a little bit of kind of figuring out exactly what we what we have here, uh, what we had last year and what we have this year in terms of, you know, are we going to be seeing the first four games of, of last year more this season or are we going to be seeing the last five games? And I think getting off to a great start against against a named team is really a, an important step for, for K-State to kind of kind of rinse out some of that bad taste in their mouth that uh, they found themselves having all too often last year uh, to close out the season. So a big game uh, for both teams. Uh, no question about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but lucky for us, I think uh, we both feel pretty good about this game and, and the matchup. So uh, you just want to get right into it? Yeah, let's hop right in. So K-State, Stanford, 11 a.m. in AT&T Stadium. In Arlington, Texas, Fox Sports 1 has the call uh, for this game. The second ever meeting between the two schools. Uh, Stanford doubled up K-State the last time they played 26-13 to kick off the season in 2016. And uh, here we are just five years later. And uh, the much anticipated rematch is upon us. So uh, let's go ahead and dive right in here. So let's look at let's look at this game starting with the quarterback position for Stanford. So 
they have listed both Jack West and Tanner McKee as the probable starters. So what, what I say by that is it, it, I believe it lists West's name on top and gives a big, fat, bold, or uh, Tanner McKee. So in terms of kind of what those two guys bring the offense, uh, Jack West, a little bit more of a polished uh, pocket drop back passer, a little bit probably more with what fans are are accustomed to when they think about Stanford. And then um, with uh, McKee, you're getting a little bit more of a physical uh athlete in terms of being able to kind of contribute in the run game. So two differing styles, but uh, two guys that uh, coach David Shaw has said, will get uh, some action on Saturday. Yeah. And, and I think if you're a K-State fan, that's the type of thing you'll, you like to hear um, when teams are in game week and still haven't, uh, you know, fully committed to one guy. Um, you know, both these quarterbacks are, are fine players. Uh, neither are world beaters or, or expected to be world beaters, but uh, they're both giant. Um, Tanner McKee, 6'6", 225. Jack West, 6'4", 215. Uh, like you said, Tanner McKee, a, a little bit more mobile. Um, and uh, Jack West is is your prototypical uh, pro-style guy. And, you know, that, that always seems to be kind of the archetype for – for quarterback uh, competitions, uh, at least in the offseason. Is it going to be the runner or the passer? Um, and so K-State, a little bit tricky to uh, prepare for both. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Stanford's still trying to figure out who's going to be under center on Saturday. Yeah, and my, my guess is that Jack West gets the first dibs on that. Uh, he started a game in each of the last two seasons. Um, started in the in the season opener uh, loss last year to Oregon, and I, I would guess that David Shaw goes with a more experienced option to start off with. But I, I think it would be um, I think the smart money would say that both of them get some action. But I think West gets first shot. Yeah, and just from a stylistic point of view, I, I think that plays to K State's favor, given that, like we talked about on our last episode, the strength of this K State defense is the secondary, is that pass protection. Um, and so facing off against a quarterback who's primarily – his primary strength uh, is, is throwing the ball, I think that uh, the West is the quarterback that K-State fans will want to see rather than, you know, face a more mobile guy who's, who's going to put more pressure on the linebacker in the running mm-hmm. game uh, to uh, try to keep him bottled up. Well, you mentioned – you mentioned that, and I think that's that's well uh, well said there, uh, D'Lo. I think the with what we've said about in terms of our linebackers being a major concern going into uh, the twenty twenty one season. Not that you know some of the concern is with those linebackers is in coverage as well. So a passing quarterback can certainly exploit that as well. But yeah, that's that's true. You know, with that being said, uh, having the option of of taking somebody that's a little bit more of the traditional drop back or someone that it could also uh, be more apt to run the ball, you'd take your chances kind of with the uh, all things being equal, the one that's going to be a little bit more predictable. So uh, I think, like I said, West gets the start, um, but I don't know if I 
would I, I wouldn't I definitely wouldn't be surprised in terms of uh, that McKee gets into the action. And the re- main reason why I say that is because when I look at Stanford and their wide receivers, they're not bringing back a whole lot. And uh, one of the guys that uh, was expected to be a contributor, Michael Wilson, uh, is recovering from an injury, expected to miss a few games to start the season. So this isn't exactly a, a deep, talented wide receiver core. Um, lost one guy to to, uh, to to my Dallas Cowboys that I believe they picked up. Uh, and you're going to have to remind me the name, uh, Dealer. Do you have that in front of, in front of you? Yeah, it's Simi Fahoko. Fahoko, yeah, that's right. So Fahoko, uh, I believe, was a fifth or sixth round pick by the Dallas Cowboys. He was their best player last year from an offensive talent standpoint, and um, in terms of in terms of a, a skill position player, I would have to say that this year, kind of like K State in some regards, their wide receivers are, are a question mark. Uh, Elijah Higgins is probably the best. Uh, of those options, a wide receiver for for the Cardinal coming into Arlington. Yeah, and and it bears pointing out that K State's depth chart this week. I mean, the focus is mostly on Stanford, but K State's depth chart this week is a little different uh, on defense than you might expect, uh, or, or what we'll see the rest of the year. They actually, rather than the nickel position, they actually have a a Sam linebacker, a strong side linebacker, mm-hmm. and projected to be either Hennington, the converted safety or Wayne Jones, who also happens to be a converted state. So um, K-State looking to be a little heavier in the middle in anticipation of that, that state heavier offense. Well, and, you know, with, with Stanford, too, oftentimes not only do they have uh, wide receivers that are kind of that big physical mold in, in terms of, you know, those 6'2", six, 6'3", six, wide receivers – this is also an offense that likes to feature the tight end. And um, they've kind of got a unique guy there with, uh, with Tucker Fisk. Uh, Dilo, you want to tell us a little bit about him? Yeah, so on uh, Stanford's depth chart, Tucker Fisk, starting tight end. Uh, he's, he's Stanford's starting, starting tight end, which, as you mentioned, is a, a pretty important position for the Cardinal but also uh, plays uh, two ways here. Um, he's also the backup defensive end. So he's, he's the guy behind uh, their star, Thomas Booker, uh, their, their defensive end, Thomas Booker, who was second team All-Pac-12 last year. But look for a uh, big Tucker Fisk, uh, who may go two ways uh, on Saturday. Yeah, and you know what I've read is that he, with him playing both ways, he's going to be limited to anywhere from 25 to 30 uh, snaps on offense. Of course, that's always, I always feel like that's a little bit of a moving target because if a guy's playing well and if he's your best option, it's a close game, you're going to find a way to have him out there. So, uh, moving target on there, but with him playing both ways, you know, he might not be out there um, every time that the Cardinals either have a tight end on a field or, or, or two possibly. But uh, it doesn't surprise me that Stanford has, has a couple guys that they feel comfortable um, with a tight end. Bradley Archer, uh, Benjamin Yurasek, and uh, Lucas Unger are the other tight ends that might get some uh, get some action uh, for the Cardinal on Saturday. Yeah, uh, and, and just one more point on Tucker Fisk. If, if you see the guy with the uh, big number 88 playing defense, big guy, long hair, uh, actually 
you know, for a Stanford tight end, his his splits receiving over the last two years, not surprisingly unimpressive. He had five receptions in last year for 34 yards and only four in uh, in 2019. So hopefully, uh, well, Fisk is hoping to have kind of a breakout year uh, here for Stanford, but uh, that remains to be seen. Well, it sure does. And, you know, I always think of those Stanford tight ends. I mean, they've had some good ones that have, that have come through. Uh, Kobe Fleener, uh, Ertz, uh, who, you know, plays for the Eagles now. You know, those guys are, are guys that have always been, you know, dependable um, options when you look at for, for quarterbacks like Kevin Hogan and Andrew Luck have always had 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 always had good tight end options. And you, you, you'd expect that to be kind of a, a staple of a Stanford offense, but uh, kind of falling off here a little bit lately. And, you know, as Stanford has kind of seemed to regress a little bit, maybe from what uh, with what you know, maybe other college football fans think of as a perennial Rose Bowl team and, and Orange Bowl team. When the, I remember when they, uh, they kind of took care of um, Virginia Tech and, and then also lost a, uh, a Fiesta Bowl uh, to Oklahoma State, kind of taking a step back from that. Uh, but this is still a, a team that uh, has athletes kind of across the board. Let's get to their offensive line. You know, Stanford, you think of, like I said, a typical physical running game that, uh, you know, welcomes eight or nine guys in the box and saying, hey, we're, we're, we're all in here. We're going to, you know what we're going to run, uh, but we're going to go ahead and run anyway. And you, it's your job to try stopping us. Last year, they didn't quite have that same success uh, running the ball, did they, D'Lo? No, they, they, they didn't. And that will surprise you for a team like Stanford. Um, not very, uh, not great on the ground. Really, the, the offense relied uh, mostly, uh, well, through uh, the good receiver you talked about earlier, uh, Mahoka. But uh, they do return some running backs. Um, but it, the question is going to be the offensive line. They replaced two uh, guys on their offensive line this year. Um, the center, who is uh, – going to be Drake Nugent, the junior center, replacing uh, Drew Dalman, who was pretty good uh, for the Cardinal last year, one of the bright spots along the offensive line. Uh, and then Miles Hinton is replacing uh, – he's going to be the right tackle. He's only a sophomore, but he's a big old dog, 6'7", 330 pounds. Uh, and so David Shaw's team, you know, you think Stanford, like you said, you, you – always kind of have this same sort of mentality that the same kind of style of offense that Kleiman wants to run. But, uh, but last year, not super efficient on the ground. Um, and so uh, K-State's front uh, front four or three, depending on what kind of look we're giving uh, should keep the ground game relatively bottled up. Uh, the offensive line shouldn't terrify K-State fans for Stanford, like, like they have in years past. Well, and you know, we we want to touch on the running backs. Austin Jones is is the uh, I guess the leading candidate out of out of a group of running backs that that should all get some time. Um, he he it was the leading rusher last year for for the Cardinal, but really none of these guys 
really stick out at you too much. Uh, nice running backs, but kind of a kind of a somewhat middle of the road. Uh, I would I would say in terms of what uh, maybe what K State fans think of when they think of some Stanford running backs, whether if it's uh, Bryce Love, Toby Gerhardt, uh, Christian McCaffrey, uh, to name a few, but this a little bit more of a pedestrian uh, backfield from from Stanford. I feel like the real strength uh, of Stanford's offense this year will be uh, their ability to run the ball. Um, don't quite know exactly what to expect from that offensive line. Relatively experienced group, uh, you know, returning three starters from last season. Uh, but for an offensive line that didn't really, you know, do a great job last year and they didn't have a whole lot of success, you'd expect to have some improvement with a full spring practice and, and you know, a full fall camp kind of getting into this season. But, you know, with what they are kind of limited at wide receiver, I have to look at this offense uh, for, for Stanford and say, you know, some of the strengths and some of the weaknesses uh, kind of actually mirror what K-State has on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that, uh, that that's absolutely right. I mean, and, and I don't want to be too critical of the offensive line last year. They were, the running game was just okay. Um, I mean, they, they averaged over four yards of carry last year. Uh, and, but, but it just wasn't the, you know, you, you think Stanford and you think the running game is what makes this offense go. And, uh, and for, I mean, on the other hand, they only allowed, they were like seventh in the nation last year in negative plays. And so they're, it's, it's not a totally crippled ground game, but for an offense like Stanford where you think, man, the running game is, is its bread and butter, it, it's just not quite what they need in order to be an efficient offense. Well, let's go ahead and, and kind of look at this from the K-State perspective here. When, when you look at this K-State – or when you look at the Stanford offense, rather, what – do you look at as some opportunities for the K-State defense to, to really uh, get after the Stanford offense? Well, I, I don't necessarily think that they need to be too focused on getting after them. Uh, I, I think the idea is that you just want to uh, just plug holes and keep your assignments. I mean, I, this, this is not a big play offense uh, for Stanford. And so I, I don't necessarily think that you need to go out there and, and take a bunch of risks and, and focus on a, on a huge pass rush. I just think for the most part, the, uh, the defense needs to play assignment football and, and make sure that guys like Cody Fletcher and Daniel Green and either Hennington or, or Jones are, are covering those tight ends and those running backs out of the backfield on passing routes, because it's those types of plays, those where I would, it's hard to even call them chunk plays, but where a running back can get lost in coverage or something and, or, or just outrun one of the linebackers um, and get out into some space. And so I think the key for K state is just make Stanford's offense beat you Um, make them go out and put together systematic drives. Like you would expect Stanford's offense to do back in, 2012, 2013, some of those better offenses. Um, but I think, uh, 
so I think we're, we're going to be saying this all season, but I think the key is really just going to be come down to the linebackers and making sure that they, uh, that they can play assignment football and uh, just be on their, their guys. Yeah. I think that's, that's pretty well put there. Uh, D'Lo, you know, with, with, uh, with, with Jack West, you're not going to really get a guy that is overly explosive in the passing game. I mean, this is a guy who's still looking for his first touchdown uh, in, in two starts uh, in his career. So, you know, when I look at what K-State is going to bring to the table defensively, I think it's, like you say, being assignment sound, being gap sound, Stanford will always – kind of tried to, to get you out of formation with lots of shifts and lots of movement. Um, that That's some stuff that's kind of just more window dressing than really actual substance. But if you're, you know, not covering the right gap or if you, you know, you're, you're not on a guy that they, uh, you know, motion across, you know, that's, that's, a, that's an easy way for them to take advantage of that. So I have to think that K-State uh, has been studying what, what Stanford does from kind of like a pre-snap, pre-snap motion standpoint. Uh, that's something that's always a traditional calling card of their offense, especially when they have those big tight ends, you know, moving uh, back and forth. So making sure that their assignments sound in that regard, I think is going to be very important. Um, and then I'm really excited to see more than anything, this might not be the best matchup, uh, to really get a great uh, litmus test on what this K-State secondary will be this season. But I'm really excited to see them get out there and play for the first time together. Uh, Julius Brents uh, is going to be a guy that I'm going to have my eye on um, at one of those cornerback positions uh, for his first game at K-State. Yeah, I mean, I think it's – for the secondary, I think it's a, a good opportunity for them to kind of – go into the season against a, an offense that isn't going to shouldn't test them all that much. I mean, more than, uh, you know, typical, uh, I, I suppose for a first game, uh, because it's not a cream puff. It, it, it ain't Bowling Green or nickel state. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, so I'm excited to see what the secondary can do against a, a power five passing attack that isn't going to terrify anyone, but is, a legitimate, you know, a legitimate passing threat. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm just excited to see Brent's on the field and, and see him in action and see what all the hype is about. Um, so I, I think the secondary should, if, if they can live up to the hype, then they should really shut down this Stanford offense that, uh, that shouldn't, you know, it isn't going to be a, one of the more high-powered passing offenses that K-State faces this year. You know, one thing I did want to bring attention to is that defensive line. Uh, One thing that I think we were a little bit concerned about was uh, defensive tackle play uh, kind of here in terms of, you know, K-State's being a little bit, um, have some question marks up front um, with, with Drew Wiley having moved on. 
uh, Timmy Horn is a guy who ha- has transferred in from the University of Charlotte and has been a, a, a big time impact already in terms of uh, just what his presence has meant. He, he's going to be one of the starting defensive tackles and it was re- uh, recently elected a team captain. So he's definitely done uh, a lot, uh, not only on the field, but also uh, from a leadership perspective. He'll be one of the big guys uh, from big number 98, 65, 321 clogging up the middle uh, of that Stanford uh, Stanford offensive line. Expect for him to be uh, someone that, that K-State fans uh, get introduced to on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is – what I just said about the secondary is, is the opposite for a guy like Timmy Horn. Um, I think he, he will certainly be tested and, and have a tall task trying to uh, plug up the gaps, plug up what Stanford's going to – try to do on, on Saturday, uh, which is run the ball early and often. Um, and so that's another, uh, I, I feel like Brents and Horn are the two most ballyhooed transfers that we got um, over the off season. And, and so uh, Brents can't take the week off, but uh, not going to be tested too hard, but Timmy Horn, um, he's going to have his hands full on Saturday and uh, will certainly give the Wildcats fans a chance to uh, determine whether or not uh, he's going to live up to the hype this year. Yeah. And I, I think that's well said. So on the defensive side of the ball, uh, Delu depth chart was released, of course, earlier this week, anything jump out to you from that perspective? Um, other than the, uh, other than what we talked about earlier with the, the Sam linebacker rather than, I mean, I think we're going to probably be playing both, uh, on Saturday, just kind of depending on the situation, but otherwise, no, I, I think that, uh, that it's pretty par for the course, uh, in terms of what we expected it to look like, which is, yeah. refreshing. I mean, and that's a, that's a good thing. Cause it means no unexpected injuries or anything like that. Uh, you know, you look over at Stanford and, and they've had a couple, yeah, a few, I mean, we, we talked about, We'll, we'll talk about what they're missing on defense, but they're also missing their best wide receiver, Michael Wilson, out. And so uh, no news is good news on the depth chart front, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's at this point of the season, once that calendar hits uh, July, mid-July and uh, in, into August, uh, no news is good news, typically, uh, fr- from that perspective. So let's go ahead and move over to kind of the the – the Stanford side of the defense. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about what we think this K-State offense is going to look like. And, and you know, we're both really um, high with what we're seeing. Uh, Stanford, defensively, you know, always looked at as one of the kind of a, a stout physical defense. And, you know, when they're playing, uh, you know, when they're playing well, that's, that's what you see. Um, Lance Anderson, uh, he's, he's been there for 13 years now at Stanford. Uh, he's got himself a, a defense that has some experience coming back. Um, you mentioned Thomas Booker. Um, Dalen Wade Perry is another guy that's played a lot of football for him as well uh, up on that uh, up in that front three as they run out of a three four front this is a defense that I feel like is going to be a good test for this K-State offense in terms of you know we think that this K-State offense has the goods to be uh to be to be a really good offense be one of the maybe better ones in the big 12 
but I think this is a good test right out of the gate for him. Yeah, I mean, a, a couple things there. Well, so it's a it's a defense that um, is is okay, but man alive, they were they were uh, they have not been good. Uh, last year they were pretty horrible, actually. Um, you know, they you you think of these Stanford defenses and you, you look at their you know, traditionally from 2012 to 2016, Stanford was 12th or better in defensive S and P plus, which is, you know, the, the thing I love. Yeah. I I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a slave to the numbers in terms well, of, you know, I, I pay a little more attention to the numbers, but they were, they were top 12, uh, four times from 2012 to 2016. And since then they've, kind of shot down. They were 44th in 2017, 87th in 2019, and 93rd last year. And really, it's it, it starts and ends with the run defense. Last year, their rushing success rate uh, was 118th in the country. They were 112th in points per drive. Um, and so, again, it, it's a little uncharacteristic of, of you know, people that – may not have been paying super close attention to what Stanford's been doing since they, since case they last played them might be surprised to know that man, the, the running game hasn't really been knocking the socks off opponents on offense, but the defense uh, hasn't met the challenge either in terms of the run game. So I think from a K-State offense perspective, this is exactly what you want to see out of an opponent's, you know, lining up and looking at the numbers where K-State wants to face teams that stink at stopping the run. And last year, if last year was any indication, then that's exactly what they're going to get on Saturday. Yeah, you know, I'm not quite there with you on that. I don't think that you can glean a whole lot off last year. Now, granted, you there is a little bit of a track record for a declining Stanford defense. But with uh, with what they have up front with um, Booker and uh, Wade Perry, I mean, you're getting guys that are fifth year seniors that have have had some serious experience. Um, also, too, in the linebackers uh, with with uh, Jordan Fox and, and Stephen Heron, you've got another experienced group there. So in terms of what I'm seeing here, I'm not going to quite throw out um you know what they did last year, because I think there is some trend going down uh, in terms of in terms of a downward trend here over the last several years. But I think that can almost be a, a reflection kind of really of what Stanford has been uh, since their 2015 Rose Bowl, uh, 2016 Rose Bowl win 2015 season. You know, they, they've just kind of been on a little bit of a slide, but I think this defense is a little bit more uh, more capable than maybe the numbers might bear. You may be right. I, I hey, listen. I'm. I follow the data. I follow the science here, and the science, the data says that Stanford can't stop a wet paper bag running the football. Um, and so that that's what I'm. Well, going. and also too, K State's defense should be much better this year running the ball. I don't think we have any doubt about that. K State's offense, or K State's offense, rather. Excuse me. Pardon me. K State's offense should be able to run the ball much better than they did last year, particularly at the start of last year. Now, granted, last year we were breaking in an entire new offensive line. Entirely new, no spring practice, 
really hardly a fall camp. I mean, I, last year, I almost want to say like until maybe two weeks before the, before the game, like we had no idea what was going to happen. Like we didn't know, are we going to play? Are we not? Maybe like, because also to you, there was no guarantee that even once they, they said, yeah, we're going to play that, that the game would actually occur. So, but with this year, I feel like this K-State offensive line should be one of the strengths of the team. I think this is a good test for him, uh, especially to, I, I'm not quite as, as well-versed in terms of what you see with, um, with kind of those odd fronts in, in big 12 play. I know, um, I know, West Virginia was typically one of those three, three, five teams for a stretch. And then change Oklahoma state does it. I know, but with, with West Virginia having kind of a, a change there, I'm not quite sure if they're still running as much of that. Uh, but with the odd man front that might prevent or might present a little bit of, uh, of a different look for K state uh, that they may not see on, on a uh, overly, uh, you know, regular basis. I believe Oklahoma ha- has done a little out, out of an odd man front too as well. So be interesting to keep a, an eye on. I, I don't think the numbers on Stanford, they're, they're not good, but I don't know if they're uh, necessarily reflective of what I expect to see on Saturday. Yeah. And you know, Booker is a, a really good player. I, I don't, I don't want to minimize uh, his potential impact, but because I think he, he's going to end up playing on Sundays eventually. But, uh, but no, I, I, I got to tell you, I think that if K-State's going to have success this year, then they're going to need to be able to, to run the football against Stanford or at least handle the Stanford defense. I mean, if Stanford just commits balls out, uh, we're, gonna, we're not going to let K-State run the ball, then there's not a lot you can do. But then K-State needs to be able to punish them in the passing game. So I uh, – that's a great point. That's exactly I, where I was going to next. Yeah. And so I, I think that, you know, it's a little bit of a pick your poison scenario here, but I, I view Stanford's base run defense as a huge liability for him and, and all else being equal uh, without Stanford devoting, uh, over devoting attention to the running game. I think K-State should have success uh, running the ball. Let's look at that defensive backfield because when you look at uh, – as we mentioned with K State step chart, pretty much no news, and no news is good news. Uh, unfortunately, or when I say no news, I say I mean no news in terms of any surprises or uh, surprise absences from that depth chart. Uh, Stanford doesn't quite have that same message. They they had a couple guys that were left off uh, their initial depth chart for the 2021 season, and guys that are going to be out maybe for for some extended time. Um, Salim Turner Muhammad, he's out for the first couple of games, it appears, after su- suffering an injury in training camp. Um, also, uh, at, at the safety position, Jonathan McGill, no relation to James, uh, he had uh, had some foot surgery, uh, or foot injury, rather, excuse me, um, kind of entering training camp, and, and he remains out for the time being. So, uh Stanford's down a few men in the, in the defensive secondary, and hopefully this is an opportunity for K-State uh, to make some hay in the passing game. Yeah, and so that's kind of the other side of the coin here. I, I think that uh, – well, well, let's look at it. If you're going to game plan against K-State, you feel like you have to be able to stop the running game first and foremost. Um, and so 
if you can't do that in your base defense that you have to bring more guys into the box and, and just devote more attention to it. So K-State should really have an opportunity to pass the ball too on Saturday. And I, and I think that's, I wouldn't be shocked if K-State uh, is forced to rely on that a little bit, uh, depending on what David Shaw draws up against K-State. And so another good chance for the Wildcats fans to see whether this, uh, this passing game can pick up where it left off with Skylar Thompson uh, against Oklahoma last year where, where it looked just beautiful um, or whether it's, you know, missing guys like, uh, well, if Chabaston Taylor uh, isn't healthy, if we miss Briley Moore a lot and, th- and those sort of question marks, uh, you know, don't play to K-State's favor. So uh, look for Emeter BB to get after it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a guy, and you know he's got a little bit of uh, Pac-12, uh, you know, on his resume, of course, with his time at USC. Well, that's right. So, so he's pretty familiar uh, with the area, and so oh, most definitely. Uh, K State, I think, uh, you know, either if they don't have a lot of success running the ball, then they really should have success throwing the ball because um, I, I don't think Stanford, if I, I wouldn't expect Stanford to be able to stop both um, is what I'm trying to stay, say, at least against this K-State offense, uh, because I think K-State's running game should be good enough to really punish uh, Stanford uh, unless Stanford just goes overboard trying to stop it. And I think if that happens, that K-State's passing game should be able to, enough to create some separation and let Skylar Thompson make some easy throws for chunk plays. Well, uh, Drew, this is kind of where – having a uh, experienced quarterback like Skylar Thompson really, really is helpful because, you know, let's take this back. Let's say Skylar Thompson's you're not available and it's Will Howard again from what we've seen last year. Now, this would be the great question with Will Howard is like, you know, obviously last year he got thrown in the fire up and down to say the least, uh, some serious kind of concerns throwing the ball. What's he going to look like after full offseason? Like, what's, what's yeah. it going to look like? But now with Skylar Thompson, you have an eye. I mean, you know what you're getting. You, you 100% know what, what you're getting. Well, and, you think well, – well, not so fast, my friend, because there's, there's some question marks there too because what's, you know, what's Skylar Thompson going to look like uh, coming off an injury? Especially true, true. Having to That's fair to say. Him, especially if Casey's having to protect him a little bit and we have to get away from – you know, our, our quarterback, right? Yeah. You know, if Skylar Thompson goes out and runs and, and has more than 10 carries on Saturday. Oh, sure. That's overstating it. And so, um, I am eager to see what, I, I don't think it's necessarily a given that, that Skylar picks up right where he left off. Okay. The offense does, but, but I, it's certainly possible. And, and I think that that can be the case, but, uh, this may not be the same Skylar Thompson that we saw last year. Now, do you have that? That's a good point that I'm glad you brought it up. D Lou um, in terms of what maybe some of that prognosis is for you in terms of that, is this more of kind of a short-term concern or something that you're going to be keeping an eye on here, not only for the first couple of games of the season, but kind of throughout the season. Well, I think I have PTSD from last year just because 
of what happened after he went out and how our offense just totally broke down. Uh, now, granted, I, the word on the street is Will Howard is, is taking a lot of steps, a lot of made a lot of strides in the offseason. They say he's unbelievable. They say he's Dan Marino reincarnated, essentially, <laughs> yeah. is what everyone's been saying that I've been talking to. Is, is, that, sure is that pretty much jive with what you're saying or what you're yeah, hearing, I should it, say? You're not I'm the one sure. saying it. I, you're, you're not the one saying it, but other people are saying it. Yeah, I, I a lot of people are saying that he's Dan Marino. Um, but all that to say that, I, no, I'm going to be concerned about Thompson coming up slow pretty much every time he gets tackled. Um, yeah. And so, uh, but I think Saturday will go a long way in terms of seeing what what he looks like without you know blemish so to speak. hey oh go ahead no just to see what he looks like coming off the injury can he make the throws confidently is he hesitant in the running game pocket presence has never been his strongest suit and so you you wonder if he's gonna if that if the injury is gonna exacerbate that if he's gonna hear footsteps quicker um and and just kind of see what he looks like uh coming off fresh uh and whether or not uh, he's still able to make the throws and, and play at game speed. Real quick, in terms of how many rushes Skylar Thompson sees, not not just on Saturday, but for the rest, for like for over the season, you know, what, what do you think? I mean, do you think, I don't want him running more than 10 times a game, period. End of story. No, I, I think, um, you know, Let's see. I think in the regular season, I'll set the over under at uh, at twelve games. Let's say eighty. You say, you say that, but you know, once K State is you know setting at like six and one, seven and one, getting into the teeth of the conference schedule, eyes locked on Arlington to get back for the Big Twelve title game. You're going to be wanting him to run the ball thirty five times a game. Yeah. Yeah, you are. It's fine to say. By, it's fine by to the say. Way, I uh I just it just dawned on me that K State could potentially play in Arlington twice this year. Oh and I remember there was a at the Fiesta Bowl in nineteen ninety seven, uh somebody had a sign that said, Save our seats, we'll be back next year. Yeah. because uh, the national championship was in at the Fiesta Bowl in uh ninety eight. And so if somebody wants to bring a sign that says "Save Our Seats," we'll be back in December. I bet I, that'd be a pretty good sign. I bet they'd show it on TV. Well, um, Dilo, are you sitting down? Yeah. What if I told you that K State could play in Arlington three times this year? Yeah. I, well, not probably not this calendar year. Oh, this calendar year. Oh, is the Cotton Bowl a? Uh, See a, a college football playoff game? It's a college football semifinal game taking place on New Year's Eve. Wow. Yeah, then absolutely. Well, so then you could hold on to – you could have a series of signs. Save our seat. We'll be back in – Early December and also late December. Yeah. So, but hey, let's not get too – let's not get too far over our skis here. But uh, something to keep an eye on for sure. But let's look at what this K-State offense is going to do. I mean, we, we've kind of talked about Stanford here. K-State, obviously, as you mentioned, wanting to run the ball. But in terms of where I think this game, where K-State could really seize control here is two things. One, 
got to find plays in the passing game. I look for Malik Knowles to have a nice coming out party here uh, to kick off his 2021 season after kind of being in and out of the lineup in, in 2020 and then really bursting onto the scene in 2019. You know, I, I was watching that K-State Oklahoma game from 2019 the other night and, um, you know, they uh, they highlighted uh Malik Knowles saying, you know, this is going to be one of this guy's a, a player on Sundays, and, and this is going to be one of the next great uh, K-State wide receivers, one of the top wide receivers in the Big 12 for years to come. And, you know, last year for for a variety of reasons, not having Skylar Thompson a, available to throw him the ball and then um, and then Knowles just own availability. He really kind of was invisible at times last year for K-State. I'm hoping that he can come out and, and really establish some of that 2019 form that he showed and uh, really get off to a great start here in 2021. I'm really excited to see what K-State does uh, with Emad Bebe. I think he gives K-State a level of, of athleticism that they might not have had last year with Briley Moore. Uh, of course, Briley was you know, certainly a productive um, wide receiver, but I think you know, if Emad Bebe can stay healthy, I think this is a guy that's really a di- difference maker for K-State. Uh, but I look at those two guys as two weapons that I, I really want to kind of highlight there. And then I think the most important thing, uh, of course, in any game that I think, you know, K-State's a two and a half, three point favorite in this game. It, it should be a tight game throughout. The team that kind of does their part to not shoot themselves in the foot, whether if it's turnovers or, or being penalized. I know Casey has struggled with some penalties uh, here under Chris Kleiman and ha- has had some games where they've, they've had some costly ones. Th- it's something you want to come out. You want to play a clean game. Of course, I think whoever turns the ball over, over least is going to really set themselves up in, in a really advantageous possession, because this is a game that when it's this tight, you can really see uh, one turnover uh, at, at the wrong time, really be something that swings this game. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and that just kind of gets back to what, what you were talking about earlier. That that It's that kind of thing that makes you happy to have a senior quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. That isn't totally fresh. I mean, there's a lot of returning faces for this offense. And so you would certainly hope that, that some of those mental errors that we saw last year, and even in 20, some in 2019, uh, that those go out the window. Um, and so – but no, absolutely. I, I think this game will likely come down to who can screw up the least, just yeah. like a lot, which is the case in most college football games. But um, no, I, I, I would be surprised and disappointed to learn that uh, K State is still making silly uh, mistakes. Well, you know that is that it has been something that's kind of that that has caused. K-State fans kind of scratch their head at, with at, at times. And, you know, I think when I look here going into to 2021 for K-State, and this is Skylar Thompson's, we'll call it his, his third or fourth year of start. I mean, he started parts of 2017, of course, started most of 2018. Um, and then, you know, obviously all of 2019 and then just a few games into 2020. But this is his third year um, in in the Courtney Messingham offense. And, you know, before that, it was um, it was Dana Demel. It, and then after that, uh, it was uh, Andre Coleman for for a year. 
and the kind of the triumvirate uh, for that as they all kind of shared offensive uh, play calling duties in, uh, I believe that was 2018 with, uh, with Klein um, and Andre Coleman uh, involved in there as well. And then, but having a full off season last year, I, I really expected Skyler to take a big step forward uh, in 2020. And, you know, I think he may have well been on his way to doing that, but I think a full uh, you know, a full three years, uh, believe it or not, this is the first time he's had the same uh, offensive coordinator uh, as a starting quarterback for more than just one season. So I think that extra familiarity and just that comfort level should really be improved. And I'm really excited to see what he can do here in, here in 2021. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a chance to, well, we talked about it last year. In our first yeah. It's a chance to, kind of rewrite his legacy to determine whether or not he's uh, going to be remembered among some of the great quarterbacks that K-State's had or whether he's going to be a little bit of a disappointment. You know, in when you mention kind of where he ranks in terms of all time, I mean, in doing uh, our K-State uh, football countdown on, on Twitter, counting down some of these great K-State players over the years, I mean – when you look at the passing records, I mean, he is going to probably get up to second or third in terms of, of passing yards. I don't think he's going to catch Josh Freeman, but he is going to probably surpass uh, Freeman in terms of most quarterback or most touchdowns thrown by a quarterback. So I think, you know, he's going to have his name pretty high up uh, on the, um, on a lot of the record, uh, records here at K-State. Now, granted, having played for, you know, four years or, or even actually a little bit more, I don't think anyone will have started more games at quarterback provided he's able to have a, a full season, which we hope he is. But uh, he, his his legacy can really, you know, if he's able to get K-State, uh, you know, pushing around that nine-win, ten-win season where, where K-State has a chance to to compete for a conference title, that would really uh, be a great way to uh, to kind of close the book on his career. Absolutely. And, and we certainly hope to uh, that that's the case and give him kind of that chance at redemption. There's there's no better story than a redemption story. And so uh, if he can kind of cement that um, and go down as, as one of the greats, that would uh, that would just be a fantastic end to his career. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's um, we I think we have pretty well covered it here in terms of in terms of what, uh, how we see this game kind of breaking down from the offense and defensive sides of the ball for K-State. We haven't touched on special teams, which, you know, for K-State, uh, having Blake Lynch at the kicker uh, position for, for a number of years, that had always been a, um, that has always been a pretty, you know, comfortable position for K-State fans to be in. But, uh, the, the two kickers that are listed as the or on the depth chart are uh, Tate and Winkle and, and Ty Zettner, both Kansas kids, uh, both uh, from Butler County Community College, uh, where they last played at. Uh, when either one of them kicks a extra point or field goal on Saturday, and we hope that they kick plenty of them, it will be their, it will be their first time kicking uh, a, a place kick uh, at K-State. Yeah, it's crazy to think about it. It's a major concern for me, actually. I'm not even I, like I, I know I had highlighted it on the uh, on the offensive po- preview podcast, but I am very concerned about our kicking game. I'm actually very, very concerned. 
Yeah, you get the feeling that it's going to be a source of frustration this year. Although, on the other hand, with Blake Lynch, he kind of just showed up out of nowhere and, and was capable. And so um, that's something to keep an eye on, too. Hopefully we uh, were able to lock it up and, and do a good job there because there are there's nothing more frustrating than kicking issues. Um, yeah. It is. I mean, you you just think about like 2001 entering in 2002, entering into your mind where it was just oh, an act of God if K-State was able to uh, to convert an extra point, much less a field goal. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's just another thing to watch. It, it just breaking in a new kicker just sucks because you just don't know what you got. And with Blake Lynch, it was a guy who – you know, not a Groza winner, but but pretty pretty darn dependable. Yeah, I mean, you, you as you mentioned, not a Groza winner, but I mean, really as, as dependable of a kicker as you could ask for. Yeah, yeah. And Man, so- if the game does in one of these close games that that comes down to maybe just a possession here or a possession there, you know, a missed field goal inside, you know, thirty yards or a. Um, I mean, that is, you know, messing something up in field position, whether it's it's because we're, you know, Zetner has had some experience punting. Uh, he was actually did did quite well last year punting the ball over 40 yard average. But the kick, the place kicking is is a concern. But that's that's uh, hopefully doesn't rear its ugly head because that could be a, a little uh, little scary. Yeah, you, you hope that. uh that we're not talking about the kicking game next week, other than to say that it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, so uh, we'll see. Uh, but hopefully, uh, hopefully it's not a disaster for, for just to be transparent here, folks, Joshua Cardi, who is going to take over uh, Stanford's uh, kicking spot after what of a great name too, for a kicker jet toner. I mean, how, how crazy is that for a name? Uh, but uh, Joshua Cardi was the number one kicking recruit in the class of 2020. And uh, their punter, Ryan Sanborn, Ray Guy Award watch list, edge in the special teams game to Stanford. So, yeah, probably, yeah so, that, which stinks. But, uh, yeah, I, I – well, but who knows? We'll, we'll you know, maybe our, maybe our kickers are really good. Yeah, maybe they are. But hey, <laughs> only on the short side option do you get do you get that breakdown on uh, on the special teams because that can win you games, folks, as we have seen plenty of times here at K State. So, D. Lou, before we get in to our a Wildcat legend this week and our uh, segment that we like to we like to call it "Ask the Icon," I believe we owe our listeners our prediction here for this game. I know if they, I know if they listened, and I know they did, to our um, preview season preview show. We both have K State winning this game. Now we did record that a few weeks ago. Has anything changed your mind? Because I, I would, I would trust that your word remains strong as oak that K State's going to find a way to beat Stanford. And judging by your comments, I think that that uh, you still feel that way. Am I correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I forget what I don't know if we predicted a score. 
I don't no, think- I, I don't know if we did either. So feel free to feel free to amend that if, if needed or uh, just fire away for the first time here. Either way. Yeah. So like like we talked about earlier and like what we alluded to earlier, I, I think the key for K-State's defense is keeping uh, Austin Jones bottled up, um, especially in the passing game, because you just get the feeling that Stanford's going to try – to use his speed to uh, to kind of abuse guys like Cody Fletcher and Daniel Green, um, just escaping out of the backfield. Uh, that said, I, I don't think that is an incredibly tough nut to crack. I, I think K State's defense should be good enough to to bottle up that threat and also handle uh, a, a fairly pedestrian Stanford rushing offense. Uh, the quarterback issues for Stanford. Um, remain to be seen. We'll, we'll see whether or not that's a big deal. Uh, but all in all, I think this is a, this shouldn't be an overly scary test for K-State's defense. Offensively, I, I think K-State should feast. I think we should really be able to do uh, whatever we want, uh, whether that's rush against a standard front for Stanford, or if they overload, then punish them. Uh, what's a depleted secondary for the Cardinal? Um, so I'll just get right into it. I, I, I think K-State wins this game 31-20. 31-20 for Mr. DeLu. I like it. I like it a lot. So K-State, I, as I mentioned, enters into this, uh, enters into this a three-point favorite over under total of 53. So it sounds like you like it to be right around that number in terms of overall total points scored uh, there, DeLu. Uh, I see it this, uh, a very similar kind of game here. I think K-State makes enough plays in the passing game. And, you know, we've gone this whole podcast. We haven't talked about the best player yet for K-State. That's Deuce Vaughn. And I think he's going to show out in a big way. Let everyone remember that, hey, this is a guy that might be the best, best running back in the conference that has, you know, a lot of good ones. Uh, whether it's B. John Robinson from Texas, Brees Hall from Iowa State, I think Sky or I think uh, Deuce Vaughn can enter his con enter his name into that contest anytime. So I think when you look at this K State game now, Deuce Vaughn's going to be having a big homecoming too. I think I saw someplace that he's expecting nearly 85 uh, friends and family to be there. So of course the the nerves will be probably a little bit higher than they might be for just a normal game. Uh, of course, it being in uh, the cavernous AT and T Stadium, home of, the, of America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I think this is a game that K State's going to really, and they not only do I think this is something they're going to do, I really hope it's something they do because K-State needs a win and they need a win in a nice convincing way. I'm going to say K-State gets it done in an impressive fashion against the Stanford Cardinal 31 to 17. We're very, we're, we're right on there. Oh, we're, wow. I, I'm going, I'm going a two touchdown win for the cats. You're going an 11 point win. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's hope this defense, I think also, too, the thing that I like, too, about how this game plays and, and kind of how it falls in, of course, being a season opener, Stanford has really not made much adjustment to their offensive philosophy for a long time. I mean, they're, they're very much, this is our game plan. Go out there and stop it. And it, it's easy for, I think, K-State's defensive uh, defensive staff 
to to be able to kind of you know pull in some things from previous seasons because I don't think a whole lot's going to change there. Now with when you have a new coach and staff or you bring in some new ideas from from guys all over with new coaches, uh, you know maybe some of that changes and it's a little bit hard to prepare prepare, prepare for. Uh, as we saw last week with old Scott Frost, he didn't quite know what uh, <laughs> what uh, defensive uh, 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 you know defensive front Illinois was going to run out of. He had said we were expecting an odd front. They came out in an even front and they played an even front all game except for five or 10 snaps. So we were kind of unprepared there. So with K-State, I don't think you're going to have to worry about that offensively, uh, at least with uh, what Stanford brings to the table or as well as defensively. You know what you're going to get with them is just going out and uh, executing better. Absolutely. And so there shouldn't be too many surprises. Sounds like we see the game pretty similar, uh, but really – just get out of there with a win. Yeah, I I don't care if it's seven to six in K State wins. I will gladly uh, be on my way smiling. Uh, I That's I right. would I will take it when. And you said thirty one twenty. I said thirty one seventeen. I'm gonna actually adjust mine. I'm gonna go thirty seven twenty one. Cats thirty seven twenty one. So folks, yeah. I know I said now I'm gonna have to make sure to make a disclaimer there because I that that changes the. Uh, changes the total score there to, to saying that this might go over the 53 points as I, as I, uh, as I make note of that here. So something to keep an eye on folks, uh, Dilo, I turn it over to you, man, because you know what time it is, don't you? That's right, folks. It's time for the first edition of the 2021 wildcat legend. And I come this week's wildcat legend hails from California. Topical. Not tropical necessarily, but topical. Or it could yeah. be both, actually. I mean, depending sure. on his locale. Yeah. Well, he played junior college football for the City College of San Francisco. He was a defensive back. Any, uh, any ideas so far? Haven't told you the year yet. You know... Dilo, sometimes these these um, these hints you give me really get my brain churning, man. And I gotta okay, be honest. Well, what with if you. I told you he was number eight? Well, when you tell me that, I had it narrowed down between two guys. One of which I really wanted to highlight, uh, and, and the reason why I didn't highlight him is because I couldn't find really hardly any information on him. Uh, and I believe he, he, I'm pretty sure he was a City College of San Francisco guy. But when you say he's he was not number eight, so Maurice Porter, remember him, number seventeen? Yeah, no, it wasn't Mo Porter. Yeah, I, I was a big fan of Maurice Porter, man. I seeing a seeing a safety out there sport number seventeen that you don't see that too often. Uh, but I believe I do know who you're talking about here. Uh, I believe. Well, what I if I who- told you? What if I before before you lay out a guess? What if does it narrow it down to tell you that? Although he played junior college football in San Francisco, he was actually from New Jersey. Oh, yeah, that 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 makes it easy. That makes it a lot easier. I appreciate it. That's a really good hit. And he played in the year 2004. He sure did. I'm speaking, of course, of? You're speaking of Brett Jones. Exactly. I'm speaking of Brett, the hitman Jones. Number eight. Uh Brett Jones had a great career at K-State, played in 11 games for the Wildcats in the year 2004, which, of course, was a really 
solid year for the Wildcat squad. Um, you know, I can't find any uh, real stats to speak of for Brett Jones because because his uh, in terms of tackles and, and all that stuff. But he did have two interceptions for K-State. Yeah, he did. He did. One of which was a pick six, of course, in K-State's uh, 2004 matchup against Fresno State. Yeah, now I, I'm sure when he had that um, – and I do remember that well. I believe that led off the score in that game. Uh, K yeah, that's right. It was uh, a pick six. K-State uh, I believe got – it might have either been on – I'm pretty sure it was on – Fresno State's uh, initial drive of the game. I don't know if it was the first drive of the game or if K-State had the ball and had to punt. Um, but, yeah, Brett Jones, man, he, he, he returned that to the house. And, you know, K-State fans thought, hey, this is, this is going to be a good day for the Cats. And, man, it was not. That was not, not. Uh, that was not the Wildcats' uh, best day. No, um, it's, it certainly wasn't. Now, I'm going off of memory here. It's one of there's two guys that played because Fresno State at the time, and I, I'm getting it looked up here. But Fresno State at this time, kind of that early to mid 2000s, I mean, this was a perennial top 25 team. I mean, kind of pretty much year in year out, right? I mean, this was a team that was always looked at as as uh, one of the better teams kind of with Boise State kind of in that that uh, the mid-majors of college football if you will um, okay maybe I'm overselling it a little bit maybe they weren't quite a perennial top 25 team but they had some good teams uh, a little bit later on they uh, they really had their best year uh, I believe it was in 2015 or 2005 rather or no excuse me yeah. 2005 is when they had maybe one of their better years. Uh, But yeah, Brett Jones really had a, had a big play in that game, but that was unfortunately about the last thing Wildcat fans had to cheer about that day. Yeah. 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 It was an unfortunate game. Uh, K-State gave up what 45 points. I I forget exactly what the number was, but a a ton of points to Fresno state. Uh, But you know what? That, that happens sometimes, but um, we, we know that Brett Jones will be watching this weekend and, and rooting on his Wildcats against a, uh, a familiar opponent for him, having played junior college ball out in, in San Francisco. And I was uh, reading an article about Brett Jones to prepare for this segment, and uh, apparently he damn near got cut at, uh, at City College of San Francisco before ever playing a game there because he was so – thin um he was 160 pounds and at six one that's uh that's pretty brittle yeah i um, mean to play and to play free or strong safety i mean 160 pounds isn't gonna make you last very long yeah the guy was wasting away but he of course put some meat on his bones uh got a scholarship to play at kansas state uh and played in 11 games for the wildcats in 2004 like i said highlighted by a pick six against another California school, uh, just like we'll be playing this week. Hopefully this week goes better than it did on the day. Oh, let's hope so. Brett Jones remembers so uh, so vividly and fondly. And uh, anyway, it, it's highlights like that, memories like that, 
that make Brett Jones this week's Wildcat legend. And now, Mr. Icon, we're getting into a segment uh, that has been off. Uh, off. Uh, we haven't done it in a while. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it's the triumphant return, baby. I'm, I'm yeah. excited to get back involved and back into the mix. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it's a segment uh, that we hear uh, called Ask the Icon, where listeners can submit their questions to the short side options, very own Chris the Icon sort. And, and you know what? He'll get them answered for you. Yeah. Um, I, I, man, I kind of forgot how this, this segment worked. So I'm glad that you kind of refreshed because it, it's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah. So the way it works is people ask you the icon questions. Yeah. You, you do your best to answer them. And, and generally you do a pretty darn good job. <laughs> well, I, I do try. <laughs> and so, uh, so without any further ado, uh, we'll tell the listeners how they can submit the questions. Yeah, yeah, because I forget even how to how to how they do it. Honestly, yeah, listeners can submit them uh, by tweeting them at us at ts. Oh, that's right, that's right. Underscore uh, podcast on Twitter, um, or texting them to us. There's other ways for them to to do it too, right? I uh, don't we have some other social media or something? I feel like I always said uh, some. Some other medium, but anyway, just tweet them at us. Yeah, tweeting is 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 maybe the best. I mean, that's something that I know, <laughs> Dilo. I know you're always on there, man. You know, you're always scrolling through, checking out those hashtags. I know you're yeah, big on those. I, yeah, I do lists and hashtags and, and all sorts of things. I follow. Yeah. Um, or you know what? If if you have a different idea, maybe you show up to the swimming pool one day and. and We'll be there. Yeah, we. I, well, you know, you gotta, you kind of gotta get it while the getting still available. I mean, with with fall rapidly approaching, swimming time is is over. Yeah, bad to say. All right. Well, without any further ado, we'll get right into the questions. And our first question this week comes uh, from BTC at Beantown Cat Twenty Two. Hmm. Okay, good to see him back. Mr. Ike. He says, "Mr. Icon, this will be the." K-State's first game in AT&T Stadium since the 2012 Cotton Bowl. Yeah. What thing sticks out to you about that game? You know, that's a that's a great question. Um, this is K-State's uh, second opportunity to, to get back to AT&T Stadium, Cowboys Stadium, and, and get a game in there. And, you know, that game was a lot of fun. Uh, D-Lou, were, were you there for that one? Yeah, technically. I uh... – I don't remember a whole lot of it, but uh, I was there. Okay. Uh, did, you, did you suffer a concussion or something? Is, is, that why, is that why you don't remember much? Yeah. Yeah, I, I suffered a concussion. Well, it's kind of like it's kind of like in uh in the Water Boy when uh when Adam Sandler's got, you know, or Bobby Boucher, as I should say, he's, he's kind of got uh, a gash above his head because a, a gorilla that was on campus had, had, been, had been running into him, you know, a little bit. So that's why he had some of those injuries, not, not due to playing football, but uh, the gorilla uh, was, was out and about. Uh, anyway, yeah. in terms of what I think about when I think of that game, I think about how K-State, you know, they had a really good season that year, obviously going – 
10 and two, losing the two games to the Oklahoma schools. In Arkansas, I mean, gosh, I mean, they, um, you could very easily say that they were maybe the third best team in the country that year. I mean, they, they lost to LSU. Yeah. They lost to uh, Alabama. And, and, you know, granted, those games they, they got kind of kind of beat up in. But, you know, gosh, I, um, I have to look at that and say the first thing I remember is, one, you know, that stadium was, was, was full. I mean, a lot of Arkansas fans, K-State fans definitely showed up well as well in that game. But the thing too, that you, you think of when you think of going and playing at Cowboy stadium is just how big that, that uh, jumbotron is. It, it's easy to find yourself uh, just looking up and watching the game on the TV rather than watching the game uh, on the field. And uh, so that's something you kind of have to train your eyes to uh, and say, because it's easy to have them just go uh, up to the big screen. The other thing that I'll, I'll, I wanted to say too, about that game was um, there was one big play that I, I definitely remember uh, Tyler Wilson, quarterback for Arkansas, gets. I think K State has him in like a third down and, and kind of long, or you know whatever the the situation is, and it, it's a tight point in the game. And uh, Arkansas's got Joe Adams, who's their uh, tremendous slot receiver, uh, you know, lined up on Arthur Brown, and. Arthur Brown's probably K-State's fastest guy on that defense almost, I, I would have to say, but probably not maybe the guy you want covering, uh, the slot man. And uh, Wilson puts the ball right on the money, uh, high over the shoulder, an over-the-shoulder catch at the back of the end zone. Uh, at that point, uh, that, uh, that got um, – or excuse me, I take that back. That was uh, that wasn't Joe Adams. That was Jerry's Wright uh, from Arkansas. So I'm glad I had it pulled up. Threw it right over the shoulder. Arthur Brown couldn't get it. Arkansas went up 19 nothing at that point. And uh, K State made it interesting uh, in, through the third quarter, cutting it down to a three point game. But uh, Arkansas was a better team that day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thank you for that question from Bean Town Cat. Uh, a follow-up question uh, from uh, Liam at R. Liam R. He says, without looking it up, who did the Cats play in the Octagon of Doom? The well, day I, the I, uh, I didn't need to look it up, but I saw that, uh, that Liam had, had, got a, had reached out about that, and that was the famous. I know this one. I know this one without looking it up. Yeah. No need to look this one up. This was a big win for K-State. I'll, I'll yeah, let you do the honors. It was a, uh, it was Missouri, wasn't it? It was the Missouri Tigers. Yeah, and that was an undefeated Missouri Tiger team at that point. I believe they were like 15, 16 and 0, somewhere yeah. around there, and uh, ranked in the top five. And K State really took it to them in that game. They won that one easily. Yeah, well, that was a uh, that did a that helped a little bit to. Um... Yeah, take some of the sting out. Now, that was the famous Michael Dixon game. Yeah, the famous Michael Dixon game where K-State fans harassed him. Yeah, and I got – so I have a little bit – and, you know, actually, now that Boston uh, or, or Beantown Cat brings that up, Beantown Boston, that, that's kind of funny, huh? But yeah, it, it, when, when Beantown Cat brings that up, so somebody had kind of gotten uh, Mike Dixon's phone number and, and made it available 
to them or to, to K-State fans. And, you know, I, I was, you know, on the ride down there to, 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 to Dallas. And so I, I like called him one time and he didn't answer. And I sent him a text message just asking him like, Hey, why didn't you answer? <laughs> hey, I tried calling you. Why didn't you answer? And I, I mean, I wasn't doing anything necessarily malicious, but what he did was he took a, a screenshot of all the people that have called him, like in his call log, and Missouri fans really got after us. And so I had to turn my cell phone off for the, pretty much the entire next day or two uh, because I was just getting absolutely um, uh, fed to the wolves, essentially, by by Michael Dixon. So, you know, that was fine. I didn't really have any problem with him, I, uh, but I wasn't really doing anything bad, I didn't feel like. I just gave him, like, one phone call. And yeah. uh, But, hey. It is what it is. K-State uh, got got uh, the last laugh in that one, I believe. Absolutely. Well, thank you for those questions from Beantown Cat and R. Liam R. Uh, next question is, well, our next and final question asker this week is Trim at Trim Goema on Twitter. Uh, his first question is football. Second question is more kind of the cultural lighter side of things. Oh, we, we like touching on kind of the lighter side of things. Yeah, we kind of do. Um, so Trim asks, uh, so he prefaces this by pointing out that uh, Kleiman is 12 and 11 at this point in his career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, after two seasons, Ron Prince was 12 and 13. So two game difference separating uh, the two head men. And Trim asks, KSU has an existing benchmark for coaches in their third year succeeding the legend. If Kleinman is still neck and neck with uh, Prince by the year end, will he find himself in the canning line? It's a good question. It's one that needs to be asked. I mean, so now, so Kleinman's record at K-State, as we, as we so mentioned here, it is 12 and 11. Do I have that correct? Correct. Yeah. 12 and, and 11. Was, Prince was, uh, Prince was 12 and 13. Okay. So, I mean, a little bit better for, uh, for climbing, but I think this year is, um, a definite barring a complete and absolutely total collapse, which we don't really think is going to happen. We, we're pretty high on this K-State team. We think they're going to be pretty good. But barring something where they go three and nine or four and eight or God forbid anything worse than that, um, no, I don't see Clement getting fired. If we miss well, a block. I don't think there's any scenario where he gets fired unless he goes – unless he – wins zero games yeah you never say never but it would almost take like an absolute i mean like just absolutely going down down the down the shoot there and, and going one and 11 you know oh and 12 something like that um as far as what i think is realistic like let's say he goes seven and or five and seven or, or you know, four and eight, something like that. I mean, I, I think K State should be better than a than a five and seven or four and eight team this year. And I, I still think though, at four and eight or five and seven, I don't think he gets fired. No way. Um, however, I don't think he gets fired at three and nine. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, and I'm not going to waste too much time thinking about like, oh, what would take, what would it take for him to get fired? Because I think it's probably like something like two and ten, or like, yeah, I mean, like, or going winless, which I, I think is we're wasting our breath talking about. Now, what I will say, let's say he does something that is in the realm of possibility where he goes five and seven in case they misses a bowl game for the second straight season. Um. Then yeah, going into next season, I think he does have the heat on him uh, to where he has to get to a bowl game, has to win, you know, that the get to that six win uh, plateau to 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 have a job maybe next year. Now I'm not saying that he he would be fired if he doesn't do that, but I'm saying you definitely can have that conversation. You can make a very strong case for him saying that hey, you've had you've had three straight years now uh, of not uh, making it to a bowl game. We're going to take our program in a different direction, but I, I yeah. don't I don't necessarily feel like that's something that uh, we can really make a determination on until we see kind of what happens this year. But if K State can be the team that we think that they're going to be, or at least kind of around that same ballpark, uh, you know, I think we're we're in okay shape. Yeah, well, and it bears pointing out that it needs a little bit of context because last year was. He, I, I cut him a little bit of a break last year just because of the circumstances. Sure. You lose your starting quarterback and have to throw in a true freshman. That's uh, that's that's not easy for anybody to do. True, but, but, and that, and that does that does it does bear some context. However, I will say though this: the K State has shown that they will cut cut loose of a coach in three or four years. They they cut rid of RP in three years, correct? That that's right. But yeah, so. Now, granted, he had three full seasons and not hampered by uh, having a, a starting quarterback go down, but it was obviously easy to kind of see what was going on. Like, your eyes could tell you the story. I think, too, like, that that comes into it, too. Like, how, how is K-State losing this game? Like, how do they look? There's, there's yeah. some things that you have to be able to see before you can really quite uh, make a whole lot of determinations. But I will say, if K-State finds their way – to, to not make a bowl game, which is definitely a possibility. K-State season win total is at five and a half. So, you know, Vegas has us as right as on that bubble of being a bowl team. If K-State finds their, themselves, you know, winning five or four games, we don't think that's going to happen. But if that does, then I think 2022 for K-State uh, has a lot of questions going into it, especially uh, presumably breaking in a new, a brand new quarterback at that point. Yeah. Well said. Our final question this week, also from Trim at Trim Goima, asks, how do you feel F-Boy Island stacked up to Timpty? You know, D-Lou, I'm going to be honest. I haven't had a whole lot of opportunity to, to get caught up on the tube. You know what I'm saying, man? So well, you're too busy grinding in the film room right now. Oh, you know I am. You know I am. So if I could defer to you, is that something that you might be able to speak a little bit better on than than uh, than yours truly could? A little bit. I've I've watched a, a couple episodes of F Boy Island, and how does it compare to Tempty? It doesn't. I mean, it's 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 fine, but Temptation Island is a whole nother animal. They're, the the stakes are so much higher. Um, but it I I enjoy F Boy Island. I, I like it fine, and I need to finish it. But uh, but. In terms of how it compares, no, Temptation Island is the king. Well, you know, that's the thing is when when you have something that is, uh, 
you know, that has been when, when we were living together, man, that was a, uh, that was a Tuesday night staple for us. Uh, once, uh, it, that, that got show got on the air that was yeah. something we didn't miss. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm ready for the next season. We're going season four, baby. Yeah. You know, I, I did watch a little bit. I know, um, you told me to check it out, I, and I gave it a chance, but I, I couldn't ever really get into it. These, uh, the couples here on the last season, they were Boresville, baby. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it wasn't as good as uh, one or two, but it still had that magic. Well, it, and that's all the Ask the Icon questions we have for today? Yep, that's it. Okay, cool. Well, hey, d before we sign off tonight, and uh, and uh, get this uh, podcast uploaded here and, and call it a wrap here. First K State game that of the season is always kind of a it's always kind of like Christmas morning. You're waiting to unwrap what uh, what uh, is under the wrapping paper here for the new season. In terms you of an opener, a lump of coal. yeah, it ter- it could be a lump of coal in case they loses. Now, in terms of a season opener, this is probably the biggest K State opener. Mm-hmm since 2000, 2010 against UCLA, another Pac-12 team, fair to say? Yeah. 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 In terms of kind of what this season holds for K-State, uh, I think a lot is going to be taken off this off of week one. I think that's the easy thing to do. Uh, but – a lot of time still left for K State. Even if, even if K State doesn't look great, still a lot of time to improve. Anything else you want to la- add before uh, we wrap it up here today? No, I, I think we've done a good job covering uh, what uh, to look for, what we expect to happen. Um, I think all that's left to do is get out there and, and see if K State, see what kind of team K State's going to be this year. Whether it's uh, going to be K State's going to take a step forward or still be in kind of that middling. Yeah, five, seven to seven and five range. Real quick, going to get you out of here on this. An X factor, maybe someone a little bit under the radar for K State to make a difference, either offensive, or defensive on Saturday. I, I, I'm really interested to see Daniel Green. I think. Yeah, uh, I think that's a good one. I think if you know he he wasn't great last year, but he's a guy that was ballyhooed and and should be better than he's been so far. And I think if, if, you know, we've talked about it ad nauseum here where if the biggest concern on this team is linebackers, and I think you and I are both kind of working under the assumption that the linebackers aren't going to be very good, but mm-hmm. Daniel Green can come out and, and uh, have a nice day, uh, really keep uh, Stanford's running game under control, keep the dump offs out of the backfield under control and play uh play some good zone defense in the middle of the field, then uh, I think K-State's prospects look a lot better this year um, and the sky may be the limit for him. But if uh, if he comes out and is still making the mental errors, uh, missing tackles and, and doing that sort of thing, then I think our prediction on defense is, is going to look pretty accurate and uh, that'll really limit uh, K-State's top end this year. So, I think X factor wise, I, I don't think he'll necessarily be the biggest difference maker on Saturday in particular, but in terms yeah. of season outlook, I think keep your eye on number uh, 22. Okay. I, I, I'm going to go just for this one game. You know who I, I think is, is someone who I'm really kind of excited to see too. Can I think it's someone who easily gets lost in the mix here 
is Mr. Front Row Joe Irvin. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, a lot of it is made about Deuce Vaughn, of course, and for good reason. Uh, Deuce Vaughn coming home. But uh, Joe Irvin, I'm not saying he steals the show, but I think that he uh, he has a nice, nice little game. And you, know, you have to realize, too, K-State's uh, soft K-State fans saw Joe Irvin back in 2019, uh, didn't play last year, uh, opted out, but he's back and he figures to uh, enter the mix here as a running back. So uh, it kind of as a, as a backup and a guy that K-State can use in a couple different ways. So I'm really well, excited to see Joe Irvin back there and seeing what he's able to bring to the table here in 2021. And as a guy that is still a legitimate running threat. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think I'll be really eager to see <laughs> – we, we've been talking for well over an hour now uh, about K-State, and I think we've mentioned Deuce Vaughn's name um, yeah. like two or three times in total, and and he's he well, is a star on Saturday. You know, and it's almost one of those things is that it, when I when you're talking about Deuce Vaughn, and, and we're, we're getting him in here a little bit, but the thing is, is you just don't really quite know exactly what K-State is going to do to utilize it because there's a couple different ways. Obviously we saw last year on the ground and through the air, uh, you know, equally as, as effective uh, K-State has a lot of different options. And I think a lot of what's going to dictate Deuce Vaughn's usage on Saturday is what Stanford does defensively in terms of manner zone. Uh, do they play a little bit of combo with, with too high over the top and uh, meaning him up with either uh, a a cornerback, nickelback, or linebacker. Well, K State has some offer to opportunities to exploit that. With Deuce Vaughn, it, you almost don't want to uh, you almost don't even want to bother breaking it down about all the different ways he can hurt you because well, you'll be doing that the entire time because there's a lot of different ways he can do it, and uh, he's shown experience to do it all uh, in in his one year at K State. So seeing what he has for a sophomore. Uh, for a sophomore year is, is I think is what's really exciting too about K-State. I don't think that I'm getting to the point of where I'm just taking him to be hundred yards, uh, hundred yards rushing, 50 yards receiving, but I might be pretty close to just penciling him in for that for about every game this year and saying, yeah, that's what, that's about what I expect. Yeah. You just hope you don't see a sophomore slump and that he's uh, able to keep uh, being productive and, and, what I think will be – well, I wouldn't be surprised if his biggest role this year is just to occupy the attention of uh, defenses and defensive coordinators and, and letting uh, some other players shine just because they're not getting the uh, as much respect and you're having two or three guys always have to know where Deuce Vaughn is. And so sure. I think that provides some uh, exciting opportunities for the rest of the defense and uh, Courtney Messingham. But all in all, I think Joe Irvin's a great pick for a sneaky guy because for, for that reason, because yeah. I think, uh, because all the attention Deuce gets is going to give him an opportunity to go out there on some misdirections. And uh, when Deuce splits out wide, uh, be the feature back to uh, punish him in the middle. I think that uh, that sounds like a plan to me. It sounds yeah. good to me. So, well, Dilu, thanks for uh, thanks for getting together with us here and in, in, in doing this. This was a lot of fun. Can't wait for the season to get started here uh, on Saturday. Yeah, email man, email baby. That's what it's all about. Well, folks, that'll do us here for this edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. We'll be back next week to review the Stanford game and then look ahead to K State's home opener against Southern Illinois at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Thanks for listening to the Short Side Option, and go Cats!